The environments in which entrepreneurs learn and develop are critical to their success. They may be formal or informal. Startup incubators and accelerators, for instance, are increasingly common backdrops for entrepreneurship education. Within the University of Toronto's sprawling entrepreneurship ecosystem, InnoVed is the campus-length accelerator expressly focused on the education sector. InnoVed is a professional learning community with a mission to connect education research, learning and innovation in order to foster the development of entrepreneurs and their initiatives. Today, we're looking at learning environments. We'll examine the conditions that enable and support entrepreneurs as they learn and grow. Drawing upon experiences from the InnoVed community, we'll navigate the spaces and places that entrepreneurs encounter on their tandem journeys as founders and learners. Something to think about is that the lessons we're learning aren't limited to education. They're relevant across sectors and to anyone embarking upon the entrepreneurship journey. My name is Christy Ivan and welcome back to the InnoVet Exchange, a podcast for edupreneurs. So what is a learning environment? At a basic level, it's the space in which learning journeys occur. It may be a brick and mortar classroom or a virtual learning space, but it provides access to learning materials, resources, and activities. Remember, there's a human loop involved in a good learning environment. And that usually involves a guide or a facilitator and social and peer collaboration. Learning environments are often shaped by their surrounding conditions, such as policies, community values, resources like human capital and technology, and achievement frameworks. At InnoVed, we're discovering that all of these things are essential and can enable or detract from how learners engage and experience success. Let's paint you a picture of InnoVed's environment. It's a virtual professional learning community. That means that members are connected by shared inquiries while they work on their own initiatives and engage in action learning. They have access to co-working space, topical learning events, as well as legal and funding support through the U of T Entrepreneurship Network. Members even have ready access to research, as OISE is Canada's leading education research institute. And InnoVed facilitates connection with key stakeholders through the journey. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, there are values that underpin the InnoVed community, like lifelong learning and a collective priority to reach the UN Sustainable Development Goal number four, which is quality education for all. These elements help InnoVed adapt and respond to the needs and lived experiences of entrepreneurs. In today's show, you'll meet two advisors to the InnoVed community who will help us reimagine entrepreneurship education on campus and explore learning environments at a deeper level. First, I sat down with John Lamb, a PhD student at OISE and an entrepreneurship and innovation specialist at the city of Mississauga to discuss how learning environments can serve the diverse needs of entrepreneurs. Later, we'll hear from Fatima Samji, an OISE PhD candidate specializing in education and EDI. We'll talk to her about EDI excellence and how to promote equity, diversity, and inclusion within entrepreneurship education. Is the entrepreneurial experience contagious? It seems so. Many people who are entrepreneurs later find themselves drawn to enable or support other entrepreneurs. Take John Lamb, for example. John's journey founding a number of social innovations led him to support the growth of other entrepreneurs as an innovation specialist at the city of Mississauga. It also inspired him to pursue further research into the field at OISE. Today, we'll hear from John about why fostering supportive learning environments for entrepreneurs is critical for accelerators like InnoVet. Hi, John. It's great to see you. Great seeing you again. Hello, everybody. My name is John Lamb, and I am the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Specialist at the City of Mississauga's Economic Development Office, and more specifically, the Mississauga Business Entrepreneur Center. Uh, before I joined the City of Mississauga, I worked at a number of incubators and accelerators at uh, universities and colleges in Ontario. I've taught entrepreneurship courses um, at the university level. I've been an entrepreneur myself. Now I'm in my PhD studies at University of Toronto at OISE, research and focusing on entrepreneurship education. Wonderful. So uh, John, take me back in time a bit. What motivated you to get involved in entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship education? It really started with recognizing an opportunity that aligned with a passion. Reflecting back, I wouldn't call it a passion. I would 
call it more of an interest. Uh, at the time, it seemed like a passion. Um, and so it was a pretty neat alignment with my skills, what I saw as a gap in the market, and also what I wanted to do. My first business was called Euphrys, and we were promoting physical activity to youth through Ultimate Frisbee workshops. And before that, before that was my first experience into entrepreneurship. And before that, I didn't really even know what the term entrepreneurship even meant. And I was interested in Ultimate Frisbee as a tool for uh, promoting physical activity because it's a um, more inclusive sport compared to traditional sports. So there was the interest level, there was the uh, skills of running a recreation program, and then I saw that there weren't a lot of Ultimate Frisbee type of activities in the market. So it was kind of a, a combination of interests, existing skills, and uh, recognizing that there is a potential opportunity in the market. So that's kind of um, how I jumped into or what inspired me to jump into action and get involved and become an entrepreneur. So it sounds like your experience as an entrepreneur led you more into the education for others. And entrepreneurship education is a fairly new thing. So tell me a bit more about that. What inspired you to want to support others? Probably how hard it is. Uh, probably my own failures as an entrepreneur. Um, so that it inspired me to try to help others. I feel like I, I know enough about entrepreneurship, you know, drawn from my failures, drawn from my experience, drawn from academic studies to pass on some of those lessons um, and, you know, to, to teach some of the, the scenarios where someone might succeed and compare and contrast different situations and different tools that could be used um, to, you know, help somebody succeed regardless of uh, which industry they're, they're participating in. Um, so uh, that transition, you know, was more of, hey, I, I think I've learned enough to help others. So let's, you know, take that responsibility on and, and try to uh, provide that knowledge, provide that uh, experience and insight to help others on their journey and achieve success in a hopefully easier way. Is there one scenario in particular you might remember wishing you had formal support in or a learning environment in to help you at the time you were going through it? Yeah, I think, you know, now that you, you asked that, I think that's part of the inspiration behind helping others and, and, teaching and mentoring uh, because my first business with, with Euphrys, uh, I, I was in uh, University of Waterloo and at the time it was very tech focused. So there was very little to help a startup, an entrepreneur who was not as tech focused. I was using technology um, to enable the, the startup and to enable the, the mission. But I didn't really fit in uh, with the existing resources. So at the time, I wanted more support. Right? And that kind of led to, hey, I can support others who are going through this. And I think, you know, now there are all types of supports, you know, regardless of whether you are tech focused or not. A lot of incubators, a lot of accelerators are uh, what they describe as agnostic, industry agnostic. Um, there are some who are still more traditionally focused in tech. There are some who say we are only focused on this one particular aspect. So I think since I first started Euphrys, uh, the amount of supports and resources, the diversity of resources and supports have definitely uh, grown, which is which is great. And I think that kind of reflects my generation of entrepreneurs who have kind of gone back to help others uh, who uh, and, and provide resources and supports that perhaps they didn't have uh, when, when they were coming up. I like how you started this talking about how hard it was. And that's what inspired you to help others in terms of what are the struggles that we know people are going to go through. And if I can come back and look back at that and help somebody through those points, um, it can make a smoother path. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're even seeing evidence that there's a maturity 
there's a maturing, I think, in the process as to what's available for others in entrepreneurship education. So, you know, in this episode, we're talking about creating learning environments to facilitate entrepreneurship education. And in your view, can you share what you think are some of the ideal conditions that might be required to set up a learning environment for an entrepreneurship education, whether it's through an accelerator or like a program you have at City of Mississauga? Mm -hmm. It really starts with understanding the audience, right? And different students engage with entrepreneurship education for different reasons, right? So if we understand what the students are actually after, because if we take a look at the students in entrepreneurship education, not all of them become entrepreneurs. Not all of them aspire to be entrepreneurs either, right? So I think it really starts from understanding who are the students, who are the people who are engaging um, in entrepreneurship education, to then define the objective of an entrepreneurship education program and build around that objective and build around the students and the learners and the entrepreneurs. And there are many aspects that, you know, contribute to that building around aspect, right? I think uh, um, an aspect that is perhaps under-researched is the, the role of the teacher. We have a lot of pedagogical methods um, that are available. We have a lot of tools that have come from practitioners and entrepreneurs who have been through it, right? These have been developed. And I think one aspect that is under research is what is the teacher bringing to the table? Are they bringing their own entrepreneurial experience? And if so, how is that affecting different types of students? So John, tell me, because that's a really great line of thinking. What would you say makes for a really good entrepreneurship educator? What are some qualities or characteristics that they bring to the table? If we look into the research of the, the teachers of and, and the entrepreneurship educators, the verdict is still out. We know that um, different educators are used in different ways. Right? If we think about an entrepreneurship education program, uh, a lecturer of an entrepreneurship course might bring in a guest speaker who is a very successful entrepreneur. Right? How does that actually affect the students? There's some research that says that, hey, that actually decreases a student's entrepreneurial intentions. Um, and then there are other uh, studies that have taken a look at entrepreneurs and who they consider role models. And most of the time, it doesn't seem like they're the icons, right? They're, they're the, the superstars of the entrepreneurship world, the Bill Gates of the world, right? There are people who have close relationships with them, parents, right? People who can really empathize and understand their situation and, and contextualize any messages and any experiences that they're, they're offering as insights. In terms of the characteristics of educators, I think, you know, this is a pretty tough question to answer because it goes back to, you know, who is the student, right? Because different students might find different teachers helpful. Probably very difficult to, to research and really pin down. Like here are a set of characteristics. Um, there have been studies uh, outside of entrepreneurship where researchers have uh, considered or asked students, who's your ideal teacher? And then they ask teachers, well, what do you think you need to do to become the ideal teacher? Right? And there's always somewhat of a mismatch. And it comes down to, well, how does that match actually um, drive the objectives of entrepreneurship education forward, whether it's learning or whether it's venture creation? Entrepreneurship education is a pretty new field and it's combining two fields of study, entrepreneurship and education. So I think a little bit more research needs to be done on who is the educator mm -hmm. and how does that change depending on uh, which type of student is going through entrepreneurship education? Great. And to go back to your earlier point, I would all, you know, just tie that to, as you said, someone who can empathize with and understand their audience and the journey that the learners need to go through, right, in order to create the right pathway in the experience for them. Can you provide some examples? If we talk about not necessarily the, the educator that's involved in it, what about the learning environment for the um, experience? What examples of learning environments would you cite as successful? Or perhaps what innovative models in entrepreneurship education can we learn from? A lot of the Canvas Linked Accelerators, especially the ones that I've worked in, you know, first off, it starts with seeking people who have entrepreneurial ideas. 
So that kind of filters out a lot of the, the students who aren't motivated to start a venture, but they can still benefit from entrepreneurship education. Um, so, you know, if we, if we start from that point, then some examples, you know, include having a, a program that directly links the concepts to be applied to their particular venture idea. When I was at University of Guelph's uh, incubator, um, we had a 12-week program. We talked about some fundamental uh, concepts, business concepts, entrepreneurship concepts, right? Market research, sales, finance, all those things that you might expect from a learning perspective, from a knowledge uh, content perspective. And then it was well, how is that going to relate to your venture? How can you apply it? And having that type of one-on-one -on -one mentorship after, you know, just the, the, here's the concepts so that they can digest the information and put down some real actionable items to then apply the concepts and see how the concepts hold up when they go out and talk to customers, see how they would respond and how they would uh, navigate the uncertain landscape that's inherent to uh, entrepreneurship. Another example, perhaps that is outside of the Campus Link Accelerator. I taught a course at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University, um, and we were using the experiential entrepreneurship curriculum from teachinge.org. And we were encouraging students to fail unbeknownst to them, um, you know, because oftentimes one of the, the things that um, is, a, is a misconception for first time entrepreneurs specifically is that, hey, if I build it, they will come. I have this great idea. I just need lots of money. Let's build it. And then, you know, I'm going to become a billionaire, right? That's not really the case, but we kind of mimic that. We got the students to build a landing page of their product and told them, hey, go do the sales, go ask people to sign up. Uh, for on, on your e-newsletter or sign up on your pre-sales, right? Put in their email, put in their, their contact information and see what you come back with. Most of the time, every single case basically was there were no signups, right? There were some people who, you know, might do them a favor, but it wasn't enough to hit a critical threshold to say, hey, this is a market or a business opportunity, right? So that's an example of, you know, engineering a environment that students feel free to to fail and then learn from that and use failure as a tool. Um, so, you know, whether it's in a campus linked accelerator or in an entrepreneurship course that can be built in to really apply and learn the concepts and to practice and to uh, make those concepts, the entrepreneurship concepts, what we take for granted, um, help the entrepreneurs make it their own, apply it to their own situation. So in your experience supporting entrepreneurs, maybe could you give an example or a story again on successful approaches that were used to respond to different entrepreneurial needs? For example, this might be recognizing that there's a difference between value creation and social entrepreneurship or social change and systems improvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the example that you brought up is, is very relevant uh, because oftentimes we don't think about, you know, it, we don't think about impact unless you're in a social impact incubator, right? Or unless you're in a social entrepreneurship course. So if we take a look at things like business model generation, lean methodology, effectuation theory, you know, it's more economically driven. It's about how do we find a market opportunity? How do we uh, leverage the market opportunity and how do we get sales, right? So the, the impact side of things, the, the social innovation aspect, uh, is often left out. In terms of different approaches to support different entrepreneurial needs, that can come from uh, shifting content or getting mentors to help, right? Because it's similar to my point before about uh, mentors who can empathize and really speak to um, and relate with the entrepreneur. You know, we have these broad concepts and then a mentor can come in to actually help and contextualize the information to an entrepreneur's uh, particular needs, right? So for example, at um, uh, you know, City of Mississauga, right? I talk to entrepreneurs on a, almost 
daily and definitely on a weekly basis. But I have to shift my message based on the stage that they're at, based on the industry that they're in, and based on their objectives, right? So for example, if there is a life science entrepreneur that I'm speaking with, their pathway is different because they have to do a lot of research and development in the lab before they can go and actually commercialize. Whereas if it's a software entrepreneur and, and, and they're developers, they can just go ahead and write a piece of software and it can follow something like the lean methodology that was built perhaps uh, with more of a focus on software companies. I think in terms of, you know, from the educator's perspective, knowing all the tools or as many tools as possible can help to shift that message as you're speaking to individual entrepreneurs. From a program level, that's difficult to do because, you know, if you're in a classroom or if you're in a cohort in an incubator or accelerator, uh, you can't really personalize that message uh, if you're speaking to 30 or 40 people at a time. How this manifests is that while well, we start getting incubators and accelerators that are more focused on a specific industry, right? Because they want to contextualize information. They want to use that specifically and, and outline a pathway that will work for entrepreneurs that are in that particular industry. When you talk about the role of mentor, it sounds like a mentor in this process can provide a very critical role, particularly if you're looking at an accelerator where you have a different variety of learners and their specific needs. So there might be an overall educator, but would they draw on then other mentors or people that could be applied to work and support particular contexts? Is that correct? I believe so. It's an element of contextualizing really broad concepts in entrepreneurship and information that would be provided to the entrepreneur. And as you mentioned, providing those connections, right? So in an incubator and accelerator, a big aspect is a uh, network, right? And, and in co-working spaces, a big aspect is organic collisions that help you to expand your network. So mentors can potentially uh, help entrepreneurs build their network. Um, so that leads to potential opportunities with potential partners, potential customers, potential investors, uh, especially if a mentor is somebody who's knowledgeable or has been through the entrepreneurship journey. Um, and this becomes a bit more magical when we pair mentors with entrepreneurs in a, in a very mindful way, um, such that the mentor is somebody uh, whose journey resembled what the entrepreneur is going through now, right? So whether it's the same industry or um, whether it's, um, you know, the similar market conditions, there's a lot of learning that could be had. I love the idea of the organic collisions. And so maybe let's talk a little bit because I'd love to hear a little bit more when you talk about making sure that people have an experience that's contextualized to their specific needs or their entrepreneurial context, that could be hugely beneficial to be immersed in an environment where everybody is in a like industry or a like focus at the same time there's tremendous benefit to having cross-discipline and more of an open network where you have a chance to see people in different focuses and with different focuses in the same type of an accelerator. So um, can you tell me a little bit more in your experience as to what works well or how you could make both of those things work? It's really about a balance mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, if an entrepreneur was meeting, it was in a co-working space with 50 entrepreneurs who were from different industries, how applicable would some of those lessons be, you know, in, in terms of the conversations that they'd be having with the other entrepreneurs. Um, but if they were in a room of 50 entrepreneurs who were in the same industry, well, that's, you know, how, how helpful would that be in terms of breeding new innovations and, and new ideas, right? So it's really about a balance. And I think that, you know, co-working spaces and um, incubators and accelerators strive to, to find that balance. Um, and, you know, for, for example, City of Mississauga is building a, a new co-working space, 4,000 square feet, um, and to enable these types of organic collisions, uh, to enable this type of diverse uh, connections to foster, right, those diverse perspectives and diverse ideas to put people together in a room because we need to find that balance, right? Excellent. It also sounds like you're advocating for the 
important role of community and network as a part of all of this in terms of a learning environment as well. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And you know how we at the city of Mississauga have positioned ourselves is as a concierge because we're not trying to be everything for every entrepreneur. There are a lot of resources that are available through Mississauga, and whether that's at University of Toronto Mississauga, um, their incubator iCube, or through Sheridan College's Incubator Edge, or through um, Altitude Accelerator in Brampton. There are a lot of resources available, and we want to connect the dots. We want to be the concierge so that if you're at an early stage, well, we'll point you towards the right resource that's going to be most relevant to you. If you're at a later stage, well, great. You can go to Altitude Accelerator, and they're going to be really great at helping you through this, right? So, um, and and it's we encourage um, entrepreneurs to build that community for themselves, to build that network. So, whatever we can do to make that a bit smoother, um, to build that network, and and not just with the entrepreneurs and the resource, but between the resource providers as well, so that we can. You know, all uh, direct the entrepreneurs to the right place um, to fit the entrepreneur's specific needs. Uh, that would be the ideal, and that that is the, you know the definition of a community, right? Right. So I just want to ask, what advice do you have for people designing learning environments for entrepreneurs? So if you're an entrepreneurship educator and you're trying to build a, an entrepreneurship program, um, well, who are you trying to reach? Right. Who who are the entrepreneurs that you're you're looking to support? Uh, because entrepreneur is a pretty broad and vague statement. There are different types of entrepreneurs. And then the, the second point is, well, what is your objective? Is it venture creation or is it um, learning for the students? Um, if it's both, well, how much of which and you know how how does your how do your actions uh, contribute to each objective. I've been in situations where you know it's a, it's a case of chasing the the funding that's available, right? The federal and the provincial uh, governments provide funding to entrepreneurship centers and and programs, but then their metrics measure something that might be out of scope for the program, um, and then the the uh, providers, the the educators. Uh, the people designing the programs kind of get caught up in that and, you know, change the initial objectives, right? So I think that focus, especially if you're starting out, it's very similar to creating a startup and then running a startup and then, you know, later on scaling it, right? So be clear about who the audience is and be clear about what objectives uh, you're trying to achieve. Great. And also looking at those achievement frameworks and metrics as well, as you so aptly pointed out. So if we were just looking to the future then, in your view, you know, what would you like to see happen with entrepreneurship learning environments? Could you paint a picture of what that might look like? I go back to the point of understanding the learner, because again, mm -hmm. we're just, I, I, I get the sense that we're just starting to scratch the surface. There's a study, Sai and Holt 2019, small study, and they categorized four different types of entrepreneurship learners, venture creators, experience seekers, explorers, and engagers. So this is telling us, although it's a small study, it's not definitive, but it, it's shedding a light on a matter that perhaps we have assumed, right? That students of entrepreneurship are there to start a venture. I'm unconvinced that that is the case for every single student. And I've seen that, you know, through entrepreneurship courses that I've taught. Not everybody is there to start a venture, right? So um, in terms of what I want to see for entrepreneurship education is really an understanding of who the students are, um, an understanding of who the teachers are and how to make an effective match so that students educators can help students to achieve their objectives, right? Whether it's venture creation or whether it's having something on their resume or, you know, finding out whether they're a right fit to be um, an entrepreneur. Well, I think that what you've just shared with us is going to be inspiring a lot of listeners as well. So thank you so much, John. It's been fantastic to talk to you today. Thank you for having me.
you've just heard from John Lamb, PhD student at OISE and an entrepreneurship and innovation specialist at the city of Mississauga. Our next guest, Fatima Samji, is an advisor to Innovet. She's an education policy researcher and consultant specializing in EDI. Fatima is in the process of completing her PhD in higher education at OISE, where she specializes in education policy. I sat down with Fatima to understand how EDI excellence can improve learning environments for entrepreneurs and host institutions as well. In our chat, we learn about the structural barriers to achieving EDI excellence in education and discuss some of the solutions Fatima has identified through her policy work and research. I'm Fatima Samji. I'm currently wrapping up my um, doctorate degree at OISE at the University of Toronto. I study higher education policy. Uh, my research focuses on how institutions in Ontario commit to both uh, widening participation and academic excellence. Uh, I also have experience in change management in universities, and I'm really passionate about you know, working internationally on um, education policy with greater social justice implications. So as a researcher, you specialize in educational policy. We've been talking with innovators in this series, and I'm curious what motivated you to pursue research in education? So my pursuit of research in innovation is heavily um, based on my experience. So I grew up in a small rural town. Um, there was really no information about life after high school. It was an army town. So that was kind of the culture where, you know, you either join the army or, or there was nothing else really discussed. And so Moving to the city in high school, I immediately saw that I was missing something. A lot of these students were talking about university track courses and their years, their plans like in five years from now. And I had to kind of look around me and say, well, what do I know? And so I studied early childhood education because I wanted to kind of, I figured I could change the mindset of these little children so that they could be empowered and grow up as empowered people. And then, you know, eventually finding my way to OISE, I started reading and researching and realizing that I had experienced many barriers um, to getting to where I was. And that's why things were harder for me. And it was all starting to make sense. And so that's where my passion was ignited. I, I really don't think that the system... Um, should have inequities like that. And I think if we can kind of equalize the playing field, then that would be wonderful. Thanks, Fatima. I, I understand in my own background, I remember coming from um, a small town as well. And if you didn't have parents who were came through a higher education system, you weren't necessarily steered to that direction. You were steered to a job or position that would promote more safety. And otherwise, as opposed to exploration or looking to something such as entrepreneurship. So I'm just fascinated by that. Yeah. So one of the things I discovered in my research was this idea of academic capitalism. So we know from global studies that parents with higher education have acquired culture, culture cultural and academic capital that when passed to their children allows them to navigate the higher education system to occupy prestigious spaces. Not all students have this academic capital. Many groups are unaware of what, for example, an entrepreneurship incubator would offer or know that they have talent in certain areas such as innovation uh, that would be valued in different educational contexts. In this episode, we're exploring learning environments and creating the conditions for a successful entrepreneurship education. And a big part of that is thinking about how do you promote equity and diversity and inclusion within those environments and eliminate barriers. So maybe let's start with the basics. How do you define or think about EDI and education more broadly speaking? Yeah, very important question. So this has two important aspects for me. So there's the research aspect, which brings in kind of the theories and, you know, studying international higher education contexts and looking at your own context and seeing where you fall. Things translate differently in practice and you need to be able to empower those who do change in a practical way. And so being able to kind of bring those more theoretical macro pieces 
into a specific institution in order to build the capacity of that institution to create change in their learning environments is a challenging thing to do. Why do you feel it's challenging? It's challenging because not everyone buys into the idea of EDI in a learning environment. There are, you know, part of my research is to study academic excellence and and, and bringing equity into those institutions. And when you have institutions that differentiate by functioning on a global market, you have institutions who are trying to achieve excellence in rankings, there's a lot of worry around threatening that perceived excellence of an institution. And so while there are you know, government supports to do EDI work and while it is being considered best practice, you know, when you get in there, you're really trying to get buy-in from a lot of of people in power. Um, We also have a a unique quasi-market higher education context. So we do kind of have a unique context in Canada where we can't draw explicitly from other higher education system models. And so we really do need to be innovative when we try to differentiate our institutions as being both excellence and equitable. Thanks, Fatima. So maybe, can you talk to us a little bit about your experience? Um, and, And maybe you've just answered this in a little way, but I just don't want to lose this question because one of the things we were wanting to talk to you about is what has your experience taught you about the structural or systemic barriers to achieving EDI excellence in education? Not all groups have equal opportunity to access entrepreneurship environments or learning environments of high value um, or to be successful in them. We know that not all institutions will do this in the same way. So for example, with the stage and gate model of entrepreneurship education, there's a restrictive process uh, with a focus on traditional success metrics. This limits the contribution diverse groups can make to innovation, as well as what's recognized as innovation is limited. And so, you know, drawing back to kind of answer that more broadly, it's really rethinking, being open to rethinking what's traditionally being done and, and seeing that you have potential for great for greatness um, should you look at, at the limiting structures. Hmm. So what are some of the things people get wrong about the structural or systemic barriers in education? If you look at the research, there really is a history of systemic challenges that groups are overcoming. So for example, even when there's intervention such as providing funding packages to students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, what we found in Ontario in the past is that those are not taken up and it's because there's a lack of information around the value of higher education. Uh, Families are not aware the benefit of taking on a debt now to have a credential that will provide you mobility later on. There have been studies done where they take students who wouldn't have traditionally gotten into elite institutions and they've watched them flourish. So it really isn't that um, the students are incapable of of flourishing in rigorous environments, it's that they just can't get there with the traditional um, systems in place. Um, conversely, if we were talking about what's the business sense, because we're talking about entrepreneurship here. So we know that diversity makes great business sense, too. Maybe you can talk a bit about that in terms of what could be the benefits in terms of a learning environment of opening up and creating more access to people on a wider scale. We know that when you diversify your institution, there are Benefits that emerge that are in accordance with traditional success metrics. So, for example, greater cross-disciplinary publications, greater awards, and what have you. 
I would caution because part of my research is to critically analyze discourse and policies. Part of what we see sometimes is where institutions use diversifying of an institution to kind of market the institution as having an additional benefit to those who are traditionally privileged. And so you're using diverse groups kind of commodifying on that. And so I would caution kind of taking an an approach that that EDI benefits an institution and really looking at that actually this is standard best practice. This is now well known to be an aspect of excellence, not because diversifying institutions result in excellence, but because to be an excellent institution, you should be open to diverse groups. I imagine that enriches the learning environment as well in terms of ideas, perspectives, representation as well. So maybe can we talk a little bit about that in terms of applying those lessons forward in the context of Innovate? You know, how might EDI figure into creating the right learning environments or um, just rich learning environments for entrepreneurs? I had the opportunity to be part of an institution-wide change management initiative across three campuses that experienced um, growth in student participation in its incubators. I was at Sheridan College, so we applied to a federal pilot to increase the capacity of the institution to do EDI in research. 17 institutions across Canada were selected. And so we were kind of setting the stage for future institutions to do this work because we did have to think about this for the first time in working with the federal government on what should best practices be in Ontario, particularly in a hybrid college, particularly when you have a context that doesn't, that can't draw upon traditional um, research that focuses on university environments. You know, I had to look at what are the frameworks for mentoring faculty, specifically diverse faculty, and specifically in a hybrid college. What we saw was that there are specific needs for this type of group. And so um, when we designed programming around those needs, we saw an appreciate like this resonance of appreciation and gratitude and and somebody seeing the need and designing programming around that so that everybody can have opportunities to succeed in their workplace. And that goes again to my point of really doing the work around what you need and and it's often never boilerplate. What I really liked there was you're talking about actually creating a diverse faculty membership. So actually providing it for those who are mentoring others who are those actual students. So could you see something like this being put in place for entrepreneurship learning environments? Precisely. And so that's what I think is very exciting is that we have this new area to innovate mentorship for diverse um, innovators. And so what would that look like? What are the fields that we need to draw from? Who are the experts we need to talk to? What are the students saying they need? Um, how can we craft data collection practices that would speak to the needs of our students and to our community at large? Um, we can't forget that educators and administrators are often also in need of, of supports in this area. Thanks, Fatima. That's excellent. This sets a precedent for all Ontario institutions to do better in this regard. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to ask finally, you know, is there some advice you could give? What might you offer for those who are looking to get into entrepreneurship or who might not feel welcomed or invited to participate in environments such as this? Or could you give some advice for entrepreneurship educators or those who are designing entrepreneurship education environments? Yeah, so I'll firstly speak to those who are um, crafting these learning environments. So too often, learning environments follow a tick-in-the-box approach um, with the best of intentions in order to um, diversify their institution and to be more inclusive. But we know that this is not meaningful and nor does it have much effect on the learning environment or its students. So for example, rather than saying, this entrepreneurial learning environment encourages participation from women and BIPOC groups, this won't overcome 
systemic barriers or increased student participation as much as it would if you had thought about how to create meaningful change. So for example, expanding the scope and reach of your environment would help do that. Reaching K-12 students or again, creating cross-disciplinary pathways. We could formally recognize non-traditional metrics of innovation. I would then advise students who who have an inc- who who are inclined to innovation to seek out mentorship you know part of what i did when i found myself at oise and found myself really feeling behind of my peers who were had a lifetime of preparation um anytime i had someone cross my path be it in a class or what have you i made sure to be to ask, hey, can I have five minutes? Can I ask you, like, what does your work look like? Among other things, like, what does it take to be successful? What is that field? And really being an aggressive advocate for yourself. Uh, it's not comfortable in the beginning, but it but it, it will help you get to where you need to go. And a lot of people are very willing to, to help you in that. That's excellent advice. Thank you. I had... Um... Just one question I wanted to ask, because I was so curious, when you mentioned recognizing um, non-traditional metrics for innovation, that's just too great of a thought to think about. Can you give us some examples of what you might encourage institutions to think about in regards to that? Yeah, so for example, um, just for easy reference, our work at Sheridan was innovative. And while it didn't necessarily produce a product, um, where can we recognize student efforts in areas that are producing new knowledge or coming out with with solutions for society that don't fall into traditional um, boxes of innovation and entrepreneurship? Thanks, Fatima. I have to ask this question because um, I'm just curious how you'd respond. If you had a limitless budget, what would you do right now thinking about learning environments for entrepreneurs? What kind of environment would you create? Yeah, if only. (laughs) If only. (laughs) If only. It would be amazing. And I think that a lot of work needs to be done um, in the fabric of society. So, So I would create explicit pathways starting from early childhood education throughout K-12 education. I would ensure that, you know, we're reaching students young to make sure that they know what's available to them, how to to access those pathways, how to seek out um, resources. You know, in, in part of my research in analyzing university policies, there is a heavy focus on entrepreneurship, but to what extent is that incorporated across practices and fields of study and to what extent are students aware of their opportunities? How can we formalize pathways across disciplines with a focus on entrepreneurship? How can we support um, our students to engage in this in these activities and to recognize that there's a world available to them and to engage in those experiences. I, I love how you went back to your early childhood education experience here. And if we're talking about how do we support entrepreneurship when people get to post-secondary environments, it's how do we actually encourage this all the way back from the beginning? So I, I really liked your line of thinking there. Yeah. So we know from, for example, big data in the United States that we start to lose around grade three um, those individuals that would have ended up being innovators. And so how can we do them justice? We can't rely on individual teachers to go above and beyond. We need to look at our system and make sure everyone has equity of opportunity to achieve at the highest levels. So as an education researcher, what would you say directly to those who might not feel welcomed or invited to participate? Find yourself a seat at the table and hold it. Don't look at the system around you to see whether you belong or not. If you want to be there, you be there. And you, you know, you be the one to to create a context where people like you won't feel that way in the future. And we know that this doesn't go away. You know, we know that 
female faculty in STEM don't always feel that they belong, but they sure are going to show up and do their job, whether people like it or not. And so, you know, there does need to be work done in changing the culture of of places. And wouldn't it be lovely if we could all kind of take that on? And how far could we get if, if everyone made that their job? Fatima, this has been such a fascinating conversation. I learned so much from you. I really just want to thank you for sharing your research and your insights. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've just heard from Fatima Samji, a PhD candidate who specializes in educational policy and higher education at OISE. A learner's experience of success in an entrepreneurship accelerator is greatly impacted by the learning environment they are immersed in. In this episode, we heard from two OISE researchers and advisors to Innoved who believe that environments should be flexible, responsive, and inclusive. Both our guests pointed out the power of mentorship. In speaking to them, we're reminded how entrepreneurial learning environments should not only drive innovation, but also actively include and affirm the learner. Fatima encouraged us to think about the potential for entrepreneurship education. By increasing awareness of opportunities starting from early education, we can help students enter entrepreneurial environments with the confidence they need to claim a seat at the table. From John, we heard how crucial it is to understand the learner audience, who they are, and what their objectives are. This is key to creating and shaping the right kind of learning environment to meet their goals. In our next episode of the InnoVet Exchange, we'll connect with advisors from InnoVet's community of scholars and educators to discuss the future of entrepreneurship, teaching, and learning. The InnoVet Exchange is produced by Cited Media in collaboration with InnoVet. For more community-partnered and research communication podcasts, visit citedmedia.ca. Samantha Pursuto is InnoVet's lead coordinator on the podcast. Ellie Payne-Smith is the lead producer, and David Tobias is our production manager. I've been your host, Christy Ivan. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for our next episode. <laughs>